Hello and welcome to The Mariner. Now, it's been a while, hasn't it? You know, you know it has. Uh, what's been going on? Um, firstly, I'd say, you know, don't pay the ransom. I've escaped. Uh, <laughs> I must have tried to record this podcast like 30 or 40 times. Easily, easily. Over the months, easily 30 or 40 times. Um, let me tell you a little bit about my life for a couple of minutes and then we'll get into something that looks a bit like a question and tangent session although it might be even more freeform than than normal as I uh, rabbit on. But uh, I've challenged myself this time to um, just continue recording until I have said the things I want to say and I can press uh, export. Uh, otherwise, I don't think I'm ever going to get back into the, the seat. Um, I guess I would start off by saying it's 2023 has been a very funny year for me. Um, it's been both amazing and awful. Now, the amazing part is easy to describe. I have Kat in my life, my partner, who is an incredible source of inspiration for me and a real rock for the, through the things I've been going through. And I also have Isaac, who is my little boy. He's 20 months old now, just trying out uh, words and getting into gear with that. Uh, he is a, a joy every day. There's a lot of work because Kat and I have decided to uh, just kind of do these first couple of years together and not really have him looked after by anybody. So we're kind of sharing that load, which is awesome because I get to see every day of his life and be involved in all the small things. But there's a massive uh, uh, usage of time there. Um, those are the very positive things that happen. I've also moved house, which has ended up being a very positive thing. Although I went through a, a period of like well depression I guess you'd call it where you know something which you really love which is your your home your place your roots where you've put tens of thousands of dollars of your money and all the rest of it um, with the machinations of what happened through COVID and the lockdown and the end of Spartan Ocean Racing as it was my home uh, is no longer my home it's uh, it's gone uh, we were very lucky that the person that bought it um, really wanted the garden and the water lot and uh, to build a new house so we were able to rent what had been our home for another year to kind of create a smooth transition period with Kat being pregnant with Isaac. It was easier than trying to move house and be pregnant. But um, the, the time came in February of 2023 to move out and we found a nice place up in the woods and uh, it needed a lot of work and we did that work before we moved in. So there was a lot of working in the daytime and then going to the new place at eight o'clock at night and working till three in the morning. And uh, we all we all know how that is, right? You've just got to do what you can do for your family. But it was tough times. Um, the end of Spartan has been very, very difficult to deal with. Um, it's been difficult from an administrative point of view, from a financial point of view, from a pride point of view. Um, Spartan started when I went around the world first in 2010 and uh, has been in one form or another with me um, for, for, for 10, 12 years. And my own personal opinion on COVID and all the things that have been around COVID, my ideas were formulated by May, June of 2020, listening to the Joe Rogan podcast, listening to Eric Weinstein talking on there about the, uh, the lack of evidence for the fact that it was from a wet market, the much more likely chance that it was created in a lab, and then watching the um, the mess, which is the uh, the mRNA vaccines and what that's done to people and everything else. Um, I knew at that point that my company had gone bust for something which in later years would be looked back on as being a massive mistake. Instead of shutting the world down for 
you know, six months or a year, which was perhaps tolerable. Everything got shut down. What do I need to tell you for? You know the story and I'm just another statistic uh, along those long, along those lines, right? So that's been 2023. I've been working. I've been delivering boats. I've been filming things. Now, I will say that the other thing I have been doing, put a lot of time into, is the Mariner's Library, which is my other podcast. You know, when you haven't got the mental space, the mental bandwidth to um, formulate episodes and, and create meaningful content, it's very easy to 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 just feel useful by at least doing something, you know, something useful. And for me, that was uh, still taking advantage of this wonderful uh, library of books that was donated to me by Bruce Hussey. Uh, his late father, Rudy, had put together this incredible sailing library. And um, even now, as I sit here in the new place, I'm I'm still inspired by the shelves of, of books here, each one which represents a, a fantastic voyage or a lifetime spent on, on the sea. And uh, just reading those uh, for the Mariner's Library podcast has been a great source of um, like a steadying influence for me, you know, and uh, a riding sail in, in the storm I've been going through. Um, I think I'm just getting to a point now where I have a plan of what I want to do next and how I want things to, to go forward. I took a big hit when um, halfway through the COVID period, or however you describe it, we had this idea to enter the uh, ocean globe race, uh, racing around the world, kind of along the lines of the, the, the first people to uh, uh, sail the first Whitbread race. Um, when I say we were committed to it, we, we put hundreds of thousands of dollars down with a, a really kind investor, a really uh, generous guy who wanted to see people on that boat competing going around the world um we were talking about taking veterans onto the boat that was something he was behind and then the race uh, officers uh cancelled the big boat um division that that boat was going to go into the 85 foot boat suddenly had nowhere to race and we're out on our ear so i put my hat in for the global solo challenge race which is i think one of the most exciting most interesting races that has happened probably since the end of the Whitbread, to be absolutely honest, when it went to Volvo, it was the beginning of the devolution of that race into, well, it's a non-existent race now, right? Um, I think the, the personally, the Global Solo Challenge, it's a pursuit race. Everyone sets off at different times. And um, I'm lucky enough that one of the remaining assets we have from Spartan is the Open 60. Now, the reason we have the Open 60 remains as an asset is that nobody wants to own an old uh, open 60 they are very difficult boats to sail they are very large boats to look after and this one is a fixed keel boat which means it's outside of what most people would see as being a um, a performance craft however <clears throat> i know the details of this boat i know it's an extremely quick extremely strong boat and i would be extraordinarily proud to to sail it so doing the global solo challenge is something we're going to talk about in a second i think it's still on the cards i'm about 95 percent there I kind of need some help, but it's going to be the source of some new uh, content going forward. So I hope you'll like that. The other thing I have done is the um, the Mariner over on YouTube. We've got a new thing going on there, which was all about uh, my one of my most recent deliveries of uh, the Trimaran Spirit up from Antigua to New England. Um, it's paused in the last two weeks, and I'll tell you exactly why it's paused. I lost my iPad, and because of everything we've lost during the... Um, the, the well the end of the company and bankruptcy and all the rest of the things that go with it i don't have a computer literally that i can uh, edit on um the one that i record the podcast on is so <laughs> so simple and old that it will do this and, and won't edit a uh, you know a, a modern even 1080p uh, uh video so 
we're getting a solution there. I've got a friend who's going to let me borrow his computer, but um, it's not for, for lack of trying. And I had started to be quite consistent and seen the uh, the benefits from that. So if you want to check out what's going on on YouTube at the Mariner channel there, and of course the Mariner's library, I'd also like to say thank you very much to the people who are my supporters on Patreon. There's about 60 people remaining of, I think we got to a maximum about 85. Um, because my output has been intermittent obviously i understand people need to be cautious with their money it's a difficult time but some people have stuck in there stuck in there with me i really appreciate it it has been the most pragmatic bit of support i've probably ever had in my life just that people are there all the time like hey we're ready for you whenever you're ready and those little amounts of money coming in huge huge difference so thank you to all my patron uh, supporters and that's of course at patreon at forward slash the Mariner, these are the realities of what happens. Like from my perspective, what happens? I have converted the utility room of this new house into a studio. So behind me is the pressure tank and the uh, the water heater for our house and the water filters. And I've tidied everything up and I now have like a mini library and a desk and a computer in here. Um, I'm reminded of the uh, of the, the poem uh, If by Rudyard Kipling, um, where of course, uh, some some great advice for living your life uh, therein and the one of course that applies to this is that um or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools that's kind of the bit i'm at now what the poem doesn't kind of go into is the fact that you need a couple of months just to kind of reel and stagger uh, before you're able to stoop and build them up and i really think of that when i'm i spent uh, last night from eight o'clock till three in the morning um continuing to move like what was 40 foot container loads of uh, equipment uh, from for, for Spartan that were stored in a boatyard decanting and uh, reducing all of that to the smallest possible amount so that um, it will fit into an old hickory pre-built shed it's about 10 by 20 and uh, trying to create in there some kind of foundational point uh, for me to step off into the um, global solo challenge which I'm attempting to still go for at the end of this year. My, my theory is this. My theory is that um, you're only as good as the last thing you did. I had a very kind comment the other day which someone said, well, you created Isaac and that's the last thing you did. I'm like, well, <laughs> yes, I was definitely involved. I was there for the, the laying of the keel and I was there for the launch, but that was that cat that did all that hard work. But uh, definitely Isaac is the th one of the things I'm most proud of in my life. The other being my daughter, Bella, um, who was um, part and parcel of my a previous relationship she came into my life when she was already seven years old when I uh, got into a relationship with her mother and unfortunately she left with her mother seven years later when our relationship broke up but um, Bella and Isaac are definitely the thing that I'm most uh, proud of in my life thereafter would be um, you know things that I have achieved on the water and uh, the company I had built and uh, and this podcast and the things around it and uh, through one thing or another um, Many of those things are now not in my life. And uh, that takes a little bit of, uh, well, I'm reminded of something I said when I was doing the Velux race, which is that if you bite off more than you can chew, you just have to chew bloody hard. And I've kind of been in the bloody hard chewing phase for a while now. Um, maybe this is my opportunity to, 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 to step back out of that. And I'm, I will explain that I'm just gonna keep talking in this. If I don't just keep talking and publish this, I will never publish another Mariner podcast because you just you can't get to the point where you've like said it right right we're not poets or, or, or experts in prose you're just trying to explain yourself so 
tricky and my heart goes out to everybody else who's also been going through these kind of things you know we've got a lot of stuff going on now a lot of like crises all over the place ideological crises and cost of living crises and you know people losing their jobs losing their companies losing their families losing their self-respect like <clears throat> i would say again like try and find the riding sail in your life the, the people or the concepts or the uh the, the god or the 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 ideology whatever it is that is that thing that can just allow you to at least point your bows into the storm um in the end all storms finish right they either finish you or they finish themselves but from your perspective it it will end uh the way to get through it is to just keep your bows into it right so i've been trying to turn my bows into it i've been trying to work on the property here the new property make it as uh uh, as magical as possible for for Isaac this is a very much smaller property which we chose as something deliberate because things were starting to get very big and ranging and complicated and just tons and tons of shit that you're moving around from I spent like I must have spent the last year at home uh you know when I've been home like basically doing logistics moving stuff around that we own that we're responsible for like our personal stuff and then all the stuff from the company still got an 85 foot boat and a 60 foot boat that need maintaining and looking after that doesn't go away just because the company's not functioning anymore um i'm just going to try and keep my my bows into it and i'd say to anybody else just keep grinding keep grinding keep grinding just in the end it finishes right however however hard it is and then there is there is light on the other side of it and i'm just stepping out into that a little bit now still got to sort out things with my um divorce still got to sort out things with the bankruptcy of the company still got to sort out like you know what am i doing next but i over the last couple of days i have kind of made some strong decisions you know what actually at the last month i've made a strong decision which is that i want to go for the global solar challenge race not for sponsors not for the company with respect not even for you guys but like for myself because there's not that many things that i'm good at in life and you know when i'm i don't know like out in the woods here uh trying to fix the tractor uh i feel so far away from the thing that i know how to do the thing that i can show some degree of excellence in that it's almost like it's another person and so i need to kind of like reassociate with that person like oh you 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 know how to do this stuff well then go and do it and that's tricky with sailing hey it's kind of the fundamental problem of it if i was a runner and i hadn't run for 10 years hadn't run competitively 10 years i'll fine just get some runners and go and do it right go and get on the road and train you fine the problem with the thing i do the problem with things that inspire folks is sometimes the machinery and the 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 situation that's required for you to get into gear as the person you can be is so expensive or so difficult to get access to that it just starts to blow away from you and what i realized is that i have a, a wonderful 60 foot um, boat uh, you know it hasn't sold because no one wants to buy a uh, 20 year old open 60 with a fixed keel it's an incredibly difficult boat to sail uh, there's no permanent backstay it's massively overpowered uh, it derives all of its stability through ballast tanks which means you can't take them out to make it into a cruiser because you you have to shorten the rig and all blah 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 right so we have a boat we can't sell so it's like it's like in Talladega Nights towards the end, you know, when Ricky Bobby uh, just goes and races for himself. I guess that's the most artistic way of looking at it. I'm just, I want to kind of go and do this thing for myself. I'm trying to also be sensible in this because going doing a solo around the world trip is uh, an incredibly selfish thing to do on lots of levels, right? It's, it's, it's great to go and do. And if you can inspire people and you can, you know, 
create something positive for it, that's great. But I already have two experiences of sailing around the world. And on both occasions, I got back to a hotel that I had set off from, one of them being uh, in Gosport in the UK, and then going around the entire world with Clipper and then coming back in the same hotel. The other one was in La Rochelle, all the way around the world with Spartan, back to the same hotel. And you get back to that starting point and go, what the hell was all that about? What, 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 what did I just achieve? I know going into this, there has to be some positive outcome from doing this. Otherwise, all I'm doing is stepping away from my family for three or four months. And that's not what I need to do right now. So um, I say it's the last month or so I've been um, working on this. I've been literally going to the boatyard um, and uh, and working on uh, on Falcon. And, uh, and she's looking good. She's looking very good. I was surprised actually how much work we'd done. If you look back on the Mariner stuff from uh, 2020, there's loads of work of myself and Ryan and Ken and, and, and my cousin Mike, who was fantastic, came over from Vancouver. We did loads of work on the boat. And I found myself walking around in there when I kind of came back to her. Like if you have a 25 foot boat and she's down at the marina, you know that you don't go there every weekend, right? And sometimes you don't go there for a month. Now, you think it's any difference with a 60-foot boat, and you've got a 60-foot boat and an 85-foot boat. One of the first things I had to do when I realized, like, okay, I want to get back into this, is just go onto Falcon and just clean up the mold because the, the doors have been shut with various weather systems and being away and all the rest of it, and the mold had bloomed. You're talking about a boat that's 21 foot wide and 60 foot low, and you're cleaning all the mold off the brand new paint you put inside it. It's depressing. But under the mold, wow, there's a boat. Engine serviced, all the ballast system serviced, all the winches are serviced, all of the um, the rudder system and the autopilots and the electronics and the everything. And there's one thing I need to sort out, which is the rigging. And it's uh, unbelievably expensive on these boats. But I, th I found a, a company in um, Rhode Island who are willing to, basically what they're going to do is make up rod rigging for me, which will add a lot of weight to the boat. But I really don't care. Like I, the, the race I want to go and do, the Global Solar Challenge, it's a pursuit race. Um, I think it'd be thrilling. I think it'd be exciting. And I think for my family, I can come back from it with loads of content, which can really spin the Mariner stuff into a higher gear. And, uh, and make it a serious way for us to, to, to earn money and a very pleasant way to earn money. Because otherwise, for me as a sailor, um, you know, every job I go for, I have to go away, right? There's no there's no salary jobs for me, which are ashore in an office. I, I worked in an office once. I worked in an office for a company called um, Asia Pacific Yachting. And uh, if uh, Bart Kinman, the owner of that, is ever listening to this, hey, Bart. And uh, of course, my great friend, uh, Karen Sarah Ball, a brilliant yacht broker out in uh, Hong Kong. We worked at Asia Pacific Yachting and uh, I had uh, four drawers in my desk and they were marked stuff, things, filed and unfiled. Because And that made complete sense to me, right? You've got like just stuff. You don't want to, that's not like important to what you're doing at work. It's just stuff, right? But then you've got things. Things are like stuff to do with work, but they're, they're just things. They don't need filing or, or, or not, you know? And then you've got things that uh, you need to file but not filed yet. They're in the unfiled drawer. And then you've got a few things in the filed drawer and, and some candy. So as you can tell, not uh, not super awesome in an office. <clears throat> um, the four drawer system is very good though. You do have to label them. And then when you finish making the labels, you realize um, I shouldn't be working here, right? Stuff, things, filed and unfiled or unfiled and filed. Um, the point being what? The point being... <clears throat> Um, I can give up on who I am and what I know how to do in a, in a hot second and go and get some job which will pay the bills. 
Um, but I do remember being at university as a young fella and having written on the wall in a hand, handwritten note, uh, something that said, uh, do not give up on your dreams. When they've gone, you may still exist, but you've ceased to live. And those little felt tip lines on those uh, little bit of ruled A4 paper that I had on my wall, I don't have that thing anymore, but I can remember exactly what it looks like. And I remember being so adamant about it. Don't give up on your dreams. Like, but now I'm not even sure exactly like what my dream is. You know, you like get beaten down on the business side. You get beaten down on the, on the, on the, on the relationship side. You get beaten down on, oh, this is your forever home. No, I don't think it is. I'll have that back. You know, all the time that we put into renovating the garden, all of the money we put into the new roof and the insulation, you just have to like, bye-bye. And I say, I know lots of people in a lot worse case scenario than me um, after COVID and all the things that uh, has happened because of that. Um, but that, you know, that's my story. That's my, that's my part of it. That's what's getting me down and, and, and respect for whatever's getting you down. It's all the same kind of shade of shit, right? So, so I'm going to try and go for this global solo challenge thing. <clears throat> and, uh, I'm not going to try and lament it too much, uh, or, or even go into it too much with the Mariner podcast, because I'm going to separate that off slightly. So if you want to listen to that stuff about sailing solo around the world, you can, um, I'm going to clearly mark those episodes, you know, like Joe Rogan has the MMA ones, which um, if you're into MMA, then watch those. And if you're not, then, you know, it's, you know, maybe not something you're interested in. I'll just mark these as GSC. And if you're interested in my hopefully here's what's going to happen. <clears throat> Come hell or high water, I will sail the boat to the starting area in Spain, which is the qualifier I have to do. Now, my start date is the 9th of December. And I'm recording this now just on the 28th of September. So we've got all of October and all of November to do this. It takes me two days, uh, two days, two weeks to cross the Atlantic. So there's time and the boat is basically ready. My mainsail is as old as balls. It's it's ridiculous how old my mainsail is. But one thing I did manage to get done during COVID, um, I sent the main to um, North Sales in Marblehead. And they did $10,000, well, she did did $6,000 worth of service work on it. And it cost $2,000 Canadian to get it there and $2,000 to get it back because it weighs 200 kilos. That's 400 pounds, give or take. And uh, it, I was paying off literally $100 at a time whilst having no income, um, but did it and now have this like super old sale. I didn't want to tell you how old this sale is because it's embarrassing well you know what it's you guys right so uh i think that this sale went on the open 60 in 2004 2004 right so how could it possibly be okay well it did one race in 2004 and then it got taken off the boat in 2005 and it got stored now storing sales for a long time if it's something like dacron you're probably okay even if it was old canvas and it was stored well you're okay but there was a period of time with like things like 3DL and the Gatorback uh, Kevlar sails. It was all about the glue inside them and if the glue would stay together. Now, the sail is um, Cuban fiber, which is an exotic fiber. It's basically like uh, felted Dyneema. And the glue in it is a lot more long lived, but it does delaminate over time. This sail hasn't delaminated. I've already sailed across the Atlantic with it. If you look at those um, those videos that I did of, uh, of bringing Falcon across from France, uh, it's I, I put up the newer mainsail and it blew apart in two days. I put up the older mainsail and it went completely without issue across the Atlantic. So I have a sail. I have a sail I can cross the Atlantic with. Headsails are fine. Kites are fine apart from the Code Zero. I need new Code Zero. But, you know, 
that's the kind of thing that it's possible to find at the last minute with a you know ding dong dong and it's on the boat right you don't have to like i can find one of those from a, a volvo 65 or a mac mini maxi or something like that it's possible but the mainsail getting a mainsail that fits the boat like you ain't doing that you need six weeks at least of lead time so i need to be ordering a mainsail in the next like week or two uh or i'm not ha gonna have a new mainsail i'm gonna have an old mainsail but still if it's that mainsail and i have to take that mainsail to go around the world then i'm bloody well doing it the only thing i can't say that to is the rigging so the rigging is pbo on that boat it's very very light when i put the rod rigging onto it it will increase the weight of the rig by 150 kilos which when you're dealing with weight up the mast then you better actually to think of it as how much weight you're taking off the keel and at a five to one ratio i'm taking like there's different heights in the rigging but basically i'm taking 500 to 600 kilos off the keel which is a problem and i know exactly what it's going to feel like because i remember challenger my whitbread 60 they had lightened the keel on that so that it was uh more usable in the light airs of the west coast and if she was always wobbly because of it but you know she was out there and doing her thing and that's what i'm hoping for on this it's like i can ballast up a little bit more um you know you got to do whatever you can do right i've got to find a way to not give up on my dreams and to find a way to support my family and uh to be able to create content for you guys i love it when i get these uh messages from people saying hey you know i'm listening to this with my kids and inspiring them to go on the water or hey i've got this question which i don't think can be answered anywhere else there's a reason i'm doing this and the reason is that i want people to get from sailing that which all of the authors of all of the books that I'm looking at right now, which total like 500 books, they've all had something that they've got from sailing, which has transformed and maybe in some cases even defined their lives from being on the water. And maybe this is not the right podcast to try and examine what that is. But if you're listening to this podcast, you know what it is. There's some way that you feel there's some thing that you feel empowered by when you're on the water, you become a better problem solver you may become a better communicator if you're working with teams you become more confident in yourself you develop leadership skills team working skills um, pragmatic skills of fixing things you take on a challenge against the ocean and you're not looking to win you're just looking to survive and you learn a little bit of humility that is sailing to me and if i'm going to make it that the only way i will go and do the global solo challenge is if it's with a multi-million dollar campaign that's it's never how I've sailed. It's not how I like to sail. Um, remember that Sterling Hayden poem where he's talking about the fact that um, if you've got enough money to make it easy, then you shouldn't even bother. It's about the fact that it's difficult that makes it, you know, a pure sailing experience. So I don't know how I'm going to do it. I've got a couple guys who are down in Boston who say that they will be, they will contemplate, you know, uh, putting some money in to, to, uh, to, to finish out the, the, the rigging um the race organizers are happy for me to join i gotta pay the last of my race fee but all told it comes to about fifty thousand us which when you think that the the rigging alone to get the pbo rigging onto the boat is over sixty thousand us the fact that all final preparations and rig the boat and probably get one more sale come and do the the race fee come down to about fifty thousand dollars like we've done a lot of work not we actually you know what i'm in a habit of always saying we and i remember getting into the habit deliberately when i was doing the um the solo race because you feel so guilty about the fact of uh leaving your you know your, your friends your family your the relationship i was in that you've got all these people working with you and so you start to use the word we because it's not just you you want to kind of include other folks but on this one 
This is going to be me. I've done all the work on that boat to get it to where it is now. And when I'm on there, I keep finding like, oh yeah, this is when I we bought the boat in 2016 or whatever, 2015. And this is when we couldn't pay the bill in the marina in 2016, but we found a way to get through that. And I went to England, and I delivered the boat to France and I, there's so many things and all these people have worked on it over time and all the little jobs have been done. I'm now looking at a boat, which I've got like eight years of history with and I've only crossed the Atlantic with it once. It's always just sitting there, sitting there, sitting there like this this demand, not no, not demand, this challenge, this challenge to go and do this thing that I can do, but I've kind of like forgotten that I can do. I, I, I don't know. It's a funny thing. So I'm going to try for that. Um, <clears throat> some folks have written me uh, questions in the last uh, little while, and um, I wanted to respond to a couple of them. Uh, one of them is from a young fella who uh, who wrote to me who is um, skippering a boat in uh, French Polynesia and he's 22 and I want to say I maybe I can break off whilst I'm doing this and just uh, find the, the chap's name. I don't want to get into something where I'm like searching for something on my phone while I was trying to <laughs> talk on a podcast. I think we all listen to that enough of the time that we don't need to hear any more of it. But um, this email came to me when I was in um, Bermuda and I was in a, uh, here we go, yeah. All right, okay, I've got it. So the chap's name is Valdemar Laust. Is that right, Valdemar Laust? Hello, Valdemar. He says, uh, thanks for all the content. Uh, I'm writing to you because I've worked as first mate on a 65-foot cruising yacht, but I'm soon becoming, I'm soon going to take on the role as a skipper. I was wondering if you have any tips for a 22-year-old skipper sailing around French Polynesia. This uh, message came to me when I was in a um, chandlery in uh, Bermuda. Um, I couldn't respond at the time. And then it kind of like uh, slipped off my radar with all these other things. But I've been thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it all the time since. So it's the first one I want to address. And, uh, you know, thank you, Valdemar, for, uh, for, for that uh, question. It's tricky <clears throat> being the captain right? There's a, I came up with a phrase or a saying or something a long time ago, but if you say it confident enough in, in conversation, then people think it comes from, you know, <laughs> some like uh, Conor O'Brien or or, or, or or Joseph Conrad or something, you know, but it's um, better too long the mate than too early the master, right? And there's a lot of things in life that should be like this, but the impetuousness of youth, the history of sailing and perhaps the modern style of not giving experience the credit it's due can lead to people jumping into scenarios where they have too much responsibility too early now I am not saying that's your situation uh, that is not the situation I would say once you're in that situation you have to be aware of like situation you put yourself into you've kind of made a bit of a stick to beat yourself with i worked a lot in asia <clears throat> and it was very tricky trying to maintain um my confidence as a teacher which was my role when i was there and as an outbound instructor leading groups it was very difficult to maintain my composure when i had people that were like 45 50 60 who might even be more expert in the thing than i was but i was the person in charge how do i <clears throat> how do I manage that relationship between myself and that person in the moment on the boat where the law of the sea is that 
I'm in charge because I'm the captain. How can I turn it not into being a brat, you know, a 20-odd-year-old brat? I can remember um, my first, like, HR interview when I worked for Outward Bound uh, in Hong Kong when I was 19 years old. And the they, they don't give, like, negative feedback. You give positive feedback and constructive feedback. So uh, the constructive feedback has to be uh, structured in such a way that it like add to you and not take away from you and then the positive feedback can be a lot more kind of like easy to understand it's just things that people like so the constructive feedback was chris seems to think that he knows everything about what happens on the ship it was a 144 foot barkentine tall ship the constructive feedback was chris seems to know everything that's happening on the ship so <laughs> i guess therein is kind of the problem like I knew what was going on. I knew what was going on to like a surprising degree for the position I had been in. Uh, but I definitely didn't know everything that was actually going on. But they were giving me credit for the fact that I knew a lot, but it's kind of impossible to to know it all at that point. There'd be no point learning to sail if it was that easy that you could like not work it out that quickly. Now, I don't know how long you've been on the water. This might be a bit more of a case of... Uh, um, so like some of the books I'm reading were from the 1900s you have people that are in their early 20s who are skippering like trading ships going from the Caribbean to, to, to Nova Scotia I read the 15,000 miles and a catch those guys are in their 20s going all the way from France all the way to the Kogulian Islands and back and living on the Kogulian Islands for like 18 months the age is not a barrier and the age is a barrier, right? It's a barrier with folks around you and it's a barrier internally for like how much you recognize you can know. So you got to try and present what you do know humbly, but not be too humble because you're in charge and people are going to think that you're too young and they're right, but they're not right because you can know enough by that age to be safe on a boat. <laughs> Does this make any sense? So the point is, it's a very tricky situation to be in. Now, I would say this, if it was me personally and there was no finances involved or anything else, I would attempt to get back out of being the captain and get back into being the mate somewhere else. But use the captaincy that you've had to get a better job where the wage doesn't change. You don't have to worry about that. I think it's important to have been the captain so that you can then see other captains doing the job and recognize the pressures that are under the mistakes that they're making, and also revel in the joy of being the mate. And I, I, you know, I've been a captain a long time now, like a quarter of a million miles. Sometimes I look across at the mate and think, you have no idea how lucky you are. Because if all the shit hits the fan all at once, right in the middle of the night, when it's most likely to do, and the mate comes on deck, with a free and open mind, they can look across at the captain and say, okay, boss, what do you need me to do? The captain is another human being. <laughs> same as them, just got roused from their sleep. Same as they did, they're on deck. Now, with everyone looking at them going, okay, fix this, you know, and unless you've got it all kind of dialed in, that can be a lot of stress. So there is a, a lot of benefit to being the mate, uh, a lot of benefit, a lot of learning to do there. And uh, just as always, just read, read, read. Oh, hey, no, go over to the Mariner's Library. <laughs> Listen to some of those stories. And, uh, and, and remember that there's so much that you can glean from 
non-fiction sailing books that can that can just suddenly pop into your head at the right moment that you can be learning reams and reams of stuff about uh, heavy weather and difficult situations while you're literally lying on your bunk at anchor somewhere um, you know that you can always keep learning uh, with sailing and you do it through through books okay well and maybe through this podcast and and through the YouTube channel and and everybody else that's creating content. We live in an age now where if you're smart and discerning, you can get information down to yourself. But a lot of being the captain is kind of the swagger. Now, anybody who is a captain and a good one will realize that my use of the word swagger is inappropriate. When you realize that, then you're on the way to being a great captain. Don't take advantage of the position that you're in. Yes, theoretically, uh, your word is law. However, 99% 99% of the people that go on boats these days, you know, in any kind of recreational capacity and charter or anything like that, they have no scooby that there's a hierarchical structure, the amount of danger, which is, a, a you know, I- implicit in, in many of the things that you're doing and the amount of responsibility that's on the captain if in the event something goes wrong. So um, don't expect people that come on the boats to have the same understanding of what you're doing as you do looking back over at them right i would say this also don't allow yourself to get pushed around by folks who want to bring drugs onto the boat or act uh uh dangerously if you're younger it's easy what they'll try and do is kind of predate upon you to try and bring you into the fold and that all will demean you and kind of like run you down for being too stiff and too boring and everything else if you try and hold a a firm line drugs and sailing are not a good mix like many things it's you know if you can hold it together then great but if if you can't then it's just an express lane to death right i would say also that alcohol and sailing don't mix certainly when the boat's underway uh but there's plenty of occurrences to tell us how it goes wrong when the boat's not moving as well so incorporating drink into drugs i'd say you know intoxicating chemicals that people on bring on board the boat and they don't know what their dangers are and they don't know what your responsibilities are and they will be very keen to kind of like pressurize you to get what they want from the situation maybe even have experience if it's high-end uh charters who often go on boats they are kind of skilled at being able to wangle what they want out of the crew you got to get smart to that right you got to get smart to that don't let these folks push you around you're younger they're older they have experience of young people as well as you know this relationship with you as the captain so i'd say uh valdemar you're in a in a tricky position um i respect the hell out of you for for, for getting to a point where you're skippering a 65 foot boat at your age that's awesome man that's awesome i hope you're having loads of fun doing it i hope that when you take that wheel you feel proud Um, I don't know how good you can be at parking at 22 because I don't know how much experience you can have in that. So if I was going to give you like one super, super practical thing, uh, either on your own or with a couple crew members that you're willing to share this experience with, do bumps and grinds in the middle of the night, learn to problem solve close to a dock, close to boys, um, loads of fenders out, people helping you just just park in the boat, park in the boat, park in the boat. Park in the boat is like um, getting out your first aid kit, right? Parking the boat and getting out your first kit at this moment where, let's say, a charter guest, a charter guest learns how much skill you have, where they suddenly like get a bit of a idea of your professionalism. They've cut themselves. They're in a kind of out of control situation where they have no idea what to do next. So I beg your pardon, smacking the mic. They have no idea what to do next. Um, you with your first aid training, which you should have, 
step in you got your kit out you start doing the thing you're super pro about it you you know you got your gloves all worked out at the top of the pack and at the end you roll everything in your gloves and put it away you can come out of a small injury that you've dealt with well looking you know like a real pro parking the boat or undocking the boat if you're screaming and shouting at folks and it's not going down well it also uh either shows your professionalism or it it uh it ends it you know so that's a practical thing but other than that um i i would be saying try and find a way that you are happy to swallow as we said at the beginning that kind of the impetuousness of youth the adventuresomeness of youth swallow that go back to being the mate for a while uh, learn about more situations, watch more captains and come back into being the master again with new information. You know, if you're, if you're being the captain now and it's going okay, I would still say drop out of it if you can, because, because otherwise the mistakes that you're making will fossilize in the nervousness and the style that you have will ossify. You will just become like a kind of caricature of what the 22 year old version of you thinks is a captain yeah you just be kind of become a version of what that version of you thinks is a captain and you'll just then be that forever you can't really step much further beyond that the alternative to this would be to step out of uh being the skipper and then go to school and go and get your 3000 ton uh, skipper's license you have to work up first obviously through your officer watch and then your um your chief and then uh, 500 ton and 3000 ton is about a 10 year uh, run ahead of you but um that's the other thing is to say okay well i'll continue doing the captaincy thing which i can keep under control but i'm going to maintain my humility by going and actively learning so i i have uh say the greatest respect for you and i say that's someone who knows exactly what you're going through uh i don't know much about french polynesia interestingly the chap who is the manager of the chandlery store in bermuda whose card i have lost but if i find it i'll literally come back to this point his son had a wonderful website um about him sailing around polynesia and i ended up chatting to the guy the the guy who's the manager of the marine of the uh, the, the chandlery is a chemical engineer and a royal naval officer and what an interesting guy to talk to. I had an education for about an hour on cleaning products, you know, like, because <laughs> that's how I roll, right? But what is the difference? What's the difference between this kind of uh, metal polish that then the, the, the rust comes back really quickly afterwards and this one where it doesn't? And what's the difference between this thing which cleans canvas and this thing that cleans, you know, UPVC or whatever it was? He had all the answers and it was like, oh, like I was suddenly learning all these things. And then I received that message on my phone. I read it to him and we start because I knew that he was Royal Navy. Uh, we'd already kind of done his background a little bit and said to him, what do you think? What's that? I can't remember what his advice was now. What was it? Oh, damn. I'm just remembering that when I asked him the question, he had, I can't remember what it was now. His would be a very sort of Royal Naval uh, take on it. I think, I can't remember exactly, but I, I know we had a discussion during it about making sure that you remain kind to those people under your uh, command. That's the other thing, right? Don't become like the heavy hammer just because you can. So uh, I hope in there somewhere, Valdemar, there's uh, there's uh, some, some answers for you. It's kind of been grating on me that I haven't answered that question. If anybody else has got any other questions, it'd be a bloody savior at the moment because I say it's tricky to, to jump back into this. Um, I have also a request. Somebody sent me uh, an idea for what to do for the ABC of sailing for I. Um, 
Although I had an idea, if you've sent me any ideas for the ABC of sailing, please resend them, okay? Like there's just like been a zillion emails I don't want to read going across my uh, email space and uh, things have gotten lost and, and all the rest of it. Send me your questions. It would really help me out. Um, I, 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 someone sent me something. I was going to do isometric uh, lift, which is how seafloors move around. Uh, I was going to, is that right? Isometric lift? Oh my God, I can't remember now. And I'm not allowed to edit this podcast. That's I won't, I won't put it out. It was all about the lifting and, and settling of the seafloor, whatever that is. I wanted to go and visit the Azores to check that out. Um, the, the one I came up with the other day though is uh, I is for I. <laughs> okay. Now it could be for I, I, I realize it could be for I as in the I in your head. But I was going to do eyes for I like the person, the personal pronoun, right? Because what sailing does to people, how people evolve through sailing, the pressures that are on you, the pressures on you as the captain, the pressures on you as the crew, the pressures that are on you as the people that stay at home when we go to sea. It is a very personal experience. Like no one needs to really go to sea anymore unless you're a merchant seaman uh, going out, uh, you know, across the ocean to, to deliver things. Um and yet people go out there. And if you're not racing and you're not really like going and seeing new places, like what are you doing? But somehow we just kind of have to go down to the sea. And I wanted to explore that a little bit and the, the kind of psychology and uh, my, my take on it and everything. So if you can help me with anything which is I for ABC of sailing, which is better than <laughs> I, then, <laughs> then send it send it to me. Now with the... Uh, I'm getting excited now because I see like I'm 45 minutes into this, like really happening, right? And I'm really going to press send. So um, what else has been happening? Uh, oh, okay. So the other thing is that um, I do have a very specific technical request uh, trying to get the Open 60 uh, into into the water um, <clears throat> on a... On, on, on marine engines, we all know that uh, you, you have uh, what's called a, a mixing elbow. <laughs> if you didn't know this, you have three elbows in your life. You have your own elbows and you have a mixing elbow on your engine. The mixing elbow is where the uh, water cooling system of the engine, where the, uh, the, the, the uh, seawater element of it um, exits back into the exhaust. And uh, it's an area which uh, is subject to a lot of corrosion, a lot of heat, a lot of uh, crazy forces as that hot water encounters the very hot exhaust gases and then gets spewed off down the um, exhaust. Now, there's two hugely important elements with mixing elbows. Firstly, in many installations, it has to be there as like a final block for any water coming in from the outside. So it's got a kind of U shape to it. If you looked for it in looked from it from a side elevation it's got a, a u-bend in it to, to further stop water getting into the uh, uh exhaust manifold and then thence into the valves and hydraulic in the engine um but it's also uh um the materials it's made from have to be able to stand up to those conditions so you have this requirement on it of like its shape and a requirement on it of its materials now i have a 3j no 3j 2h is that right? Jesus, I should know this. 3J2HTE engine. It's a Yanmar engine. It's a three-cylinder diesel. It's that 38 horsepower, but that TE on the end of it means it's the turbo edition. And the turbo edition has a very specific mixing elbow. And the mixing elbow from Yanmar is, drum roll, $2,050 before tax. So I had 15% for me here in Nova Scotia. Another three. So I'm talking like the underside of two and a half grand 
uh, to get more plus delivery. You know what? It probably is that. And it's probably going to be bloody import duty because it's not like there's one here in Canada. So look, I don't know. If anybody is listening to this, has a friend who has a, you know, I don't know, fixes engines or <laughs> you're putting your boat away from the winter and you want part of it to go around the world. I don't know. Or if you know how to manufacture things out of metal, I cannot afford 2000 odd dollars for a bloody mixing elbow so that i can get the engine going every other part of the engine is groovy tuesday but i don't have a mixing elbow it's got like a, a triangular flange and then a 45 degree four inch exhaust pipe coming out of it it's got this little like eight inch high loop in it and they're either made of stainless steel or phosphor bronze if you know how to make something like this please contact me i'm more than willing to to, to pay for something um i was looking actually at uh, like i don't want to go off the deep end here with my jubilation at passing the 48 minute mark but um i was looking at the plasmoid engines that randall carlson's been going on about wow what a what a difficult time it is trying to understand that i have a lot of respect for randall carlson i i follow a lot of stuff he's doing if you don't know who he is have a quick look online um he's a guy that uh, knows a lot about geology and about um the 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 uh the history of the world let's put it that way the history of the world in terms of the geology of the world and has been putting some very interesting stuff together from a multidisciplinary background looking at things like the younger dryas event and uh the the ice sheets melting across north america all of this being an area of my life that i'm also interested in but recently he came out kind of like behind something which is totally off kilter for him which is supposedly a system which massively improves the efficiency of an engine and i'm not even going to go any further into it because i spent an hour or two last night getting into it and I, at the end of it i still don't understand what the hell it was and i don't really understand how someone who i think is so intelligent could be into that and yet all the testing and the data that they're doing comes back as showing you could install this addition to your engine and it ends up massively improving the economy um and you know what one of the things i've had to calculate this week is how much fuel i'm going to take with me on this boat going around the world and the reality is that a sailboat with the electronic systems that the open 60 has going at the speeds it has the autopilot draw it has needs to take about 400 liters of fuel with it. it's like 100 gallons of fuel with me to go around the world and i'm going to burn all of it uh that doesn't really sit very well with me because i am a bit like eco-conscious you have to be when you're on the water um and also <laughs> my mixing elbow's damaged and whatever this thing is it attaches to 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 the exhaust manifold so i'm like well i'm gonna do that instead so if anybody knows anything about plasmoid engines and want to build a mixing elbow which is also a plasmoid whatever that thing generator i don't know what the hell that is again hit me up and uh, csm uh, the mariner at gmail.com and let's let's talk plasmoid engines maybe you can explain to me exactly what's going on there but um that those two quite specific things the thing that i have to do next is get that um uh the entry fee in which is about another seven thousand euros i need to pay and then that's done and then i will uh cross the atlantic and go to vigo i have a lot of friends who with bigger boats who are in vigo and uh they have already said that they will help me as much as they can with the technical aspects of the bigger boat um, and getting it ready to go uh, on this trip around the world and the uh, lift in vigo is way cheaper getting lifted out with a 60-foot boat in vigo is about 300 euros getting lifted out in my local boat yard thank god they can and i really love the people at east river shipyard now 
lots to tell you about the developments down there but it's 1500 bucks to get out and 1500 bucks to get in so uh i got some challenges here but i'm kind of ricky bobby this as much as i can um any help that anybody can offer practical financial sponsorship anything with that like this is going to happen now the race format is a pursuit race as we said before the people who have already started are on the water now in 36 foot boats are two competitors already set off on this race and we're all heading for the same finish line and i haven't even replaced my rigging my boat's not in the water i haven't entered the race officially and i haven't done the qualifier now to me this feels kind of normal <laughs> this is what sailing's all about right like oh yeah the last minute that's where i get my best work well I, I prepared Spartan to go around the world in eight weeks. That's the sister ship of Falcon. Falcon is basically ready to go. If we could put rigging on there tomorrow, I'd have a competitive boat apart from I don't know exactly about the mainsail, how long it'll last, and I don't have a code zero. But other than that, like, you know, I can do this. I have sailed, I have sailed over 200,000 miles since I last did this, and I've done it all in 60 foot to 70 foot to 85 foot boats oh actually and super yachts over that but in racing boats 60 foot 70 foot 80 foot boats i can do this and i would like to posit that i think i can win it and i think i can win it because uh the the boats are uh being set off using their irc rating which gives me a departure date of the 9th of december where the other people are started off in the middle of september um but irc is just looking at the performance of the boat and it doesn't look at the performance of the boat in uh, rough weather polars. It doesn't look at the boat and the psychology of the sailor in the Southern Ocean. It doesn't take into account uh, how well people know how to sail their boat and how well they know how to maintain their boat and keep it together. And I know how to keep my boat in one piece. I know how to make it go fast. And um, I have got some wonderful support uh, already to get me to the start line in that the boat's got so much done to it already it really can't be that difficult to get those last bits done to give you an idea if the rigging was made up it'd take like a week to get the, the rigging done um, it'd take two weeks to do the uh, delivery and uh, a mainsail could be fitted in an afternoon so it's a it's a, a money thing that we're at now and we're right at the end of it I've kind of scratched my way to the edge of this now I'm 50,000 bucks and we can get over the edge I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'm going to go and talk to these guys in Boston and see if they're excited to be involved in this and, and whether that's a kind of amount of money they can do. The good thing is that we've got uh, Nihil still as the sponsors. They've got us to this point. I don't want to give up on the investment they've made in us, but we still have all of the sail area and half the hull. So if someone wants to come on board as a sponsor for this, we're going to be like the last boats going. There, there are three boats going at the end of this uh, that I'm aware of. There's uh, two open 60s going on the uh, 9th of December. Uh, myself another guy called kurt morlock kurt is brand new to open 60 sailing he has a great boat there in uh i'm not sure what he's calling it but it's uh it started out life as uh it was thierry dubois boat uh the very curvy boat that he had what did he race as uh, les solidaires i think solid solidaires i think it was his name can't quite remember right now but in his initial uh uh run was like two thousand. And then um, Derek Hatfield had the boat when I did the Velux Five Oceans race. I raced against this boat previously. It's a good boat, but uh, it can't beat Falcon. If I can keep Falcon in a straight line, it cannot beat it. Um, the only other boat that's going after us is, is a chap who has got Black Betty, which is a Volvo 70, and he's going to solo that around the world. Now, I don't think he can beat me either, and I'll say why. Uh, you can look at the Mariner 
Well, firstly, like I know the performance of Volvo 70s and Open 60s, and I know the workload on a Volvo 70 and a Volvo 60. And it's only last year that you can look at my YouTube channel, me soloing the 85 footer from England to Iceland. So I know what it is to solo a very big boat. There is something which is pertinent here. I remember Alex Thompson had for a while, it was like Hugo Boss 4 was the WAN-K designed Open 60, which basically what they did, instead of saying, you know, let's build the lightest Open 60 possible, they said, well, let's build the most powerful Open 60 possible. See how that goes. Uh, Brian Thompson had it as the Kingdom of Bahrain in the 2008 Vendee Globe. Is that right? And um, did okay. I can't remember. He's like, I think it was like seventh or something or eighth. Um, which is massive and huge. But uh, I remember talking to Alex about that boat when I worked on it in Hong Kong. And he said, it's true that it's like 25% more powerful than Open 60. But as a solo sailor, you can only sail it at 70% of its max. So it doesn't end up faster. It ends up like the same as. But the amount of work that you have to do, unless you are very, very dedicated and very knowledgeable about what you're doing, the amount of sails you have to put up and down to, to get that boat going at speed, the kind of problems that you have to deal with. Um, the rig on uh, on the uh, the big boat, the 85-footer that I have, the, the top of the, let me see, <clears throat> the main and first reef is as tall as the main on the open 60 at full, full hoist, right? Um, the, the kites are going to the top of a 120-foot rig. Now, that gets to a point where it's like, Mm, it may actually be that you can't handle this without a lot of like really dedicated, really well worked out, super French, super techno uh, methods of holding it together, like someone like Thomas Colvin's doing on the Stabo trimarans. Getting a, a, a Volvo 70 and putting some roller furlers on it, an autopilot, does not a solo winner make, right? It's just different. And uh, the best person to answer that will be this chap, I've, I haven't got his name in front of me, who's who's going to go off on this. I wish him luck. I think he'll probably get round if he knows what he's doing. I don't think he can be an open 60 being driven by somebody who's got like 150,000 miles in open 60s and comparable boats. Um, just on paper, I'm not saying I'm anything special. I'm just like, you know, these are realities of how these boats are designed. I would say also there are class 40s in this race and they might well be the other boat that uh, would be a very serious competition because um they're very quick and they're running you know if they're able to run those boats fast and run them at their irc kind of polars and i'm on my rc of polars then it's going to be very close on the finish line so we'll look forward to that but um look we've got nearly to the end of an hour here i'm not sure how this kind of read i don't want it to be like some whinge about my life because i know people are in much worse situations i have been doing uh a lot of training physically to get ready for this thing that's kept my mind in the game. My body is good to go. I have the blessing of my partner and uh, Isaac is going to be so little that he won't remember this, you know, although I don't want to miss too many moments in his life. But I kind of need to do something to get back up on the horse for my own self-respect. I think also we can do some positive things here. I was contacted the other day by people wanting to do the Quebec San Malo race, which is happening in 2024. The race from Quebec right down the St. Lawrence Waterway all the way across the Atlantic to San Malo. I'm thinking of doing it. I think it's possible. Um, you know, at the, the Newport Bermuda is coming up as well. I think just doing a couple events like that would be very good. And then doing this social media stuff, the content that I do now, good. And then doing talks and after dinner stuff, good. Much more likely to get those gigs if I've just come back from doing a solo around the world yacht race. So I'm trying to find something here that restarts my life and is positive for my family. And uh, if there's any way that uh, anybody listening to this can help me out with uh, 
any part of what I've put together here, then then please uh, hit me up. It's we're we're in the. I know I've talked about these things on and off during COVID and all the rest of it. We're now in the vortex. It's the twenty eighth of uh, September here, and uh, I want to be on the water. I want that boat to be back in the water by the second week of October. I'd like to see the boat getting rigged in the second, you know, third week of uh, October, uh, if not before, um, and then setting off at the beginning of November to do my um, uh, transatlantic going to Vigo for a couple of weeks and then round to La Coruna for the start of the of the race. So it's all possible, not an issue. I've like literally got my clothing and uh, food on Vulcan. Apart from the rigging, she is she's she's good for it, you know. Um, but uh, well, as, as good as any boat is. <laughs> Still got like a million jobs to do, right? But yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. And uh, yeah, apologies for not uh, for, for not uh, doing any podcasts for a long time. Um, life, hey, it's a. Uh, uh, a many faceted thing and um yeah i it's it's been tricky and my heart goes out to anybody else who's been having a tricky time as well i'm uh write to me and tell me about your experiences because uh, mine have been pretty shitty and uh, i don't mind uh sharing with you a little bit on this one i don't want to be a whinger i'm not that person um but uh I guess, you know, talking to you guys, I'm just sitting here looking at a load of books uh, about sailing and uh, a computer screen with bars going across it as I record this stuff. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. I'm not sure how much, you know, this kind of means to folks or, or where it hits, but um, we, we are a small group of people. Um, there are thousands of people listening to this podcast. Um, to give you an FYI, the last one I put out with Paul Trammell went out to three or 4,000 people, which... Um, in podcast land is getting into the top five percent of podcasts so i want to make this into something um, successful find a way to monetize it better and uh, and be more committed to it and just uh, apologies for uh exposing you to uh <laughs> my varied thoughts uh are today um you know but i just kind of had to get back over the uh get back on the horse so to speak so i will leave you as i always leave you with something which um is very meaningful to me. Um, I was talking to Kat the other day. I had a kind of a emotional weekend where I started to realize like if this is really going to happen with this race and I'm going, it starts to bring up a lot of old stuff from from doing it before. The last time I did this uh, kind of around the world stuff, I ended up doing 100,000 miles in uh, about 19 months. And um, that was too much. It, uh, it damaged me. It damaged people around me. And I was saying to her that, uh, you know, when you go around the world and you come back to port and you can write in your log um safe and sound you know crew safe vessel sound there's a moment there where just finally for the first time in hundreds of days you can just go and just the responsibilities off you you know you keep the gray hairs but you can you can put your bag on your shoulder and, and walk home um i'm gonna step into that again now but hopefully doing it to the betterment of my family and that will give me huge strength um and hopefully uh take you guys along for the ride so from the bottom of my heart i hope uh, wherever you are and whatever you're doing you're safe and sound i'll speak to you soon cheers